Hello, I'm Andy Stevenson and welcome to another episode of A Winning Mindset, brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their long-standing and now worldwide Paralympic insurance partner, Allianz. Over the course of this series, we've been introducing you to Paralympian stories that have hopefully sparked confidence in your everyday life. Stories from the likes of Anastasia Pagonis, Jaylene Roberts and Marcel Hug, featuring challenges, ups and downs, determination and excellence. And this season we've been focusing on mental health and how to deal with setbacks. Getting to know the true power of having the right team behind you and preparing you for what's ahead. Our guest today is a German Paralympic wheelchair basketball player who changed career paths to become an employee of our very own podcast partners, Allianz. Sebastian Magenheim now uses what he's learned about teamwork, resilience and reinventing yourself in both the office and on the court. Now you fit the brief entirely because you're a former Paralympic wheelchair basketball player, but now you're an Allianz employee, our partner on this podcast. So we're going to talk about sparking confidence and reinventing yourself from a sports person into an office environment. But first, tell me about your uh, childhood, living and growing up with spina bifida. Oh, sure. You know, I was born in Munich, raised in Munich, uh, Germany. I was very lucky that I was born in, in Germany with a lot of medical background available. So it it was a easy childhood if I compare it with people with spina bifida who who was born maybe on another continent or a poorer country. So nevertheless, it was not easy because society always is judging, sometimes very openly, sometimes under the surface. And therefore, there were a lot of challenges. And there are still a lot of challenges where I have to fight through and, and yeah, prove myself. Even I haven't done anything wrong because people just think or thought also that I cannot do several things. For example, when I was born... The doctor said to my parents, who were at that time 24 and 26 years old, my German dad and my Croatian mother lived in Munich, and my mom spoke a little bit German at that time. And you can imagine when the doctor said to her that she has a son who will never be able to walk or have a have an independent life, will will need help for forever. She made her own opinion and she said, okay, I see my child, what he's, what he's able to do and what he's willing to do. And uh, I started crawling earlier than others. I also tried to get up earlier on feet and walk. I started walking when I was approximately two years old, a little later than other children, but it worked. They brought me to the doctors and said, hey, you was wrong. My parents told them you was wrong. He's walking. And they say, okay, please don't believe that and don't daydream and whatever. And then they put me on the floor and and I just started walking in the the room of the doctor and they were totally overwhelmed. And this is how my life started. I proved somebody that I was able to do something what they never imagined I can do. And um, the same later in life in school, they told me I, I should not go to a regular school. I should go to a school with special needs. 
later with the driving license, with the studying, with a normal job, with a girlfriend, like the, this, this pattern just repeated itself and I proved them all wrong. I must confess, I, I didn't even know that was medically possible myself for, for a child to to walk with spina bifida. So what, what, what was the process after that? Was there a, a gradual decline in that ability as you kind of got, you know, got to become a bigger child, etc.? Spina bifida has different outcomes. So normally you are born with open back somewhere on your spine. And I wasn't born with an open back. I just had a defect inside under the skin. And uh, this is also was one reason when the doctors couldn't see in the first two or three months after I was born that I have spina bifida. They just diagnosed it a little bit later. Yeah, and later... I had to train, you know, I, I trained all my muscles to compensate what I don't have. So I don't like from, from my hip downwards, I have muscles, but not all of them. And I had to make sure that if I want to walk, if I want to compete with others, I have to train those muscles that are available. So in my lower back also, I have, I have muscles, but they are smaller than regular. Yeah, I just made sure through sports that I'm strong. And I, yeah, like I said, I compensate with the parts I have with uh, the parts I don't have. That's what it's all about, really, isn't it? I, you know, I was born with a disability myself. You make up for what you can't do with, with what you can do. And you usually sort of find ways of doing things. But for us who are born with conditions or disabilities, it's kind of there from the start. And you just generally have to try and get on with things, don't you? Yes, 100%. And the other thing I, I would like to admit is either you, you believe the, the naysayers around you that you are not able to do this or that, or you just try. And well, I, I tried so many things and I realized that some things I really cannot do. So I give you an example. My true wish was to become a firefighter when I'm adult. I still believe I would have been a firefighter if I would have strong legs and a strong back, but it, it's just a requirement to be a, fi a fighter is to be physically totally strong and, and able to run stairs and everything. And yeah, I, I saw also that some things are limited, but others are not. And how did your parents help you through that? Were they behind you for what was ahead? Yes, 100%. Especially my mom. Like, she's a, such a strong woman. And um, she never accepted that something's not working, for me at least. She said, okay, maybe it's working differently and we have to find a way. And this will take us more time and more, more power and more energy. But it's worth it and we are going to do it. And my dad was always behind my back, but not kind of that visionary like my mom was, but he was helpful on a very other level. He helped me when I struggled with something. He really stayed behind me and said, okay, you can do this. So both of them had a slightly different role. And this leads nicely into the wheelchair basketball. How did you get into that sport and, and what are your favorite memories of, of playing that game? Well, I had a friend who had also spina bifida and he was a permanent wheelchair user and he started to talk about wheelchair basketball, how cool it is and everything. And I was like personally also biased by 
by the pictures in the media when I was, I think it was 10 years old. And I said, ah, that's not the real basketball. The real basketball is they are running and jumping. And um, I, I don't believe that's cool. He said something to me, what really inspired me until today. And he said to me, before you judge, have a look before. And that's, that was it. So I said, okay, you're right. I joined him for one practice and the rest is history. I mean, I fell in love with the game. I liked that the Witcher was an extension of my body. It was not a limitation for me. It was just showed me how I can move and use my body in my mind at the same time to play the, the, the lovely game of basketball. So this was the point when, when I realized, okay, I'm really good at this and it, it's a lot of fun as well. So I'm thankful to Nikki is his name. I still know him. Uh, we are not, not in touch every day, but he's listening. Thank you, Nikki. It's amazing how many people I've spoken to on this podcast over the last couple of series who've said literally just one person made the difference to them. It might have been one person suggesting to them that they go and try this sport or whatever. And when you sit and think about that, it's incredible that one person can change somebody's destiny like that. So in your case, I want to ask you about your own voice behind your former teammate and coach, Benny Ricklin. What kind of friend is he and what kind of coach was he? With Benny, I really shared a lot of moments on the basketball court. Firstly, we were teammates. And I can remember when when I joined the first division team in Munich, he was already there and he was the guy who always challenged me. He said, ah, you're not serious about this. You're you're leaving the gym early. Why you don't stay stay longer? You can do some free throws. You're you you're really, really struggling at the free throw line. And so he would always challenge me. And from the first couple of weeks, he when I saw him, I, I really I, I tried to avoid him. He was really, really, yeah, and it's just annoying, you know, type type of person. But then I realized what he's what he's trying to do, and actually, he really motivated me. I started to stay longer. I trained more. I trained in the end more than he did, and um, I became better. Then later, he became my coach also in Munich, which was just for a different club team, the Iguanas. But he became my coach and it was a different perspective. You know, we had this long friendship over the years as teammates. And now all of a sudden I had to listen to him. But at the same time, he really had my full respect because he was a really good basketball player and he's also a good communicator. So what made it easy to believe in him as well Right now, he moved to the next stage. He's the manager of the of the local club in Munich we have. And I'm the head coach of the team. And it's really amazing. He was basically always there to support me, sometimes really harsh. But I don't know if I would have gotten this far without him, I can say. Emotive words from Sebastian, and we'll hear from him again in a bit. But first of all, let's spend the next few moments getting to know more about Benny Ricklin, the man behind Sebastian for What's Ahead. Brought to you by Allianz, a long-standing and now worldwide Paralympic insurance partner of the International Paralympic Committee. In this series, we've been introducing you to the people behind the Paralympians, the ones that spark their confidence and help them prepare for what's ahead. 
As we've just heard from Sebastian, his and Benny's relationship has evolved over the years as their roles have changed. So I asked Benny how he's seen his good friend grow and develop. So he was always a very self-confident player. He never uh, was scared to tell his opinion to anyone and always very honest. And with honesty, always <laughs> it's also sometimes hard what you hear and what you're confronted with. And he grow <clears throat> from his uh, mental point of view very, very strong. Now today he always hits the point when he says something, he's very, very smart in what he's doing. And when he starts to do something like playing and also now like coaching, he's giving everything to be very good at it. And he uh, most of the time succeeds. Is he a confident player? Have you had to spark confidence within him? No, there is even, I had to lace him a little bit. <laughs> he is, uh, I think, in everything uh, he's doing, he's very, very super confident. And sometimes if confidence is maybe too strong, if it's it's always hard to be, if you are confident, you have to deliver as well. You have to compete and you have to bring your strength on the court. But if the confidence is overgrowing and the strength's not there, sometimes there is a conflict. So sometimes I had to lace him to bring him back to his power and to his back to maybe to take tell him to take one step back to to get back on track and then to grow again from there. So it's more stop him. <laughs> Lots of people listening to this won't be athletes. They won't be basketball players. They won't be wheelchair basketball players. But in any team, whether that be in work or as part of a family or friendship group, how do you manage having different personalities within a team when you're all trying to work towards the goal? Yeah, it's always a balance. You cannot speak with every player the same way. and But I think as a group of people, everyone, as especially like we have always been also a group of friends, everyone understands each other, everyone knows each other and everyone knows strengths and weaknesses of each other. So even if people do not always believe or it, it's not the right way, like you are saying it, everyone understands that uh, any, everyone is trying to get be the best out of us all. So I think it was always easy in our groups, our teams to lead the way through a positive vibe, let's say, even there were also conflicts. It must be really interesting for you now seeing Sebastian as a coach himself and he's having to kind of manage his team, manage his players to a certain extent. So how fun is that really for you then to see him maybe taking on things that you've taught him and also bringing his own new ways of coaching to the game? Yeah, for me, it's very interesting because he is really a completely different coach than I was. He is much more calm. I was like a playing coach, you know, the coaches that are very active on the bench and really want to take the ball and put it in himself. And Basti is completely the, pos uh, the opposite. He is watching very calmly and trying to understand and to work on the game while watching it. And he's very calm. He shows self-confidence to the players. And I think it's, it's a different way. I tried to give the players my power, let's say, <laughs> to bring it on the court. And Basti is trying to show the self-confidence he always had. 
and the calmness and the coolness he most of the time has when he's strong and give this to the players and take it on the court. Do you think there are uh, skills and experiences that Sebastian will have had in his basketball career that he will take over into his new life in the office in a corporate environment with Allianz? Yeah, sure. I I have really no doubt about this because this is what I think he believes in and I believe in that sports teaches you the best lessons to have also a successful life in, in your workplace because it's really like a mirror. If you uh, you have to handle a group of people, you have to be part of it, you have to get the strengths and the weaknesses out of the people and uh, put the people in the right positions to to do their best job and also try to work on their potentials. And there is no difference in communication and leading to success and also to being a successful group of people in sport, same as in workplaces. So I really believe that sport is one of the best lessons and is also like a mirror to your workplace and how to be successful there. Well, lovely to hear from Benny Ricklin, Sebastian's former teammate and coach and still a good friend as well. And Sebastian, Benny talks about your confidence and coaching style there. Do you think you were a confident person back then? And how do you adjust for a mix of self-belief across a team or workplace? There are different levels of confidence, I would say. When you say being confident, for me, it does not mean automatically that somebody is an alpha male or female. It's somebody who provides service at that point that the whole team or the whole business or the whole game will work. This is exactly something what I see that, that I can transfer to, to an office environment from the court of basketball. And I see also that other colleagues are doing this. So sometimes if you want to be successful, you don't have to be always in the first row. You always have to see what is the most efficient or effective way to get to the goal. And that's the only thing that really matters to me, get the goal. And if it means that somebody else has to be in the front row and to show and earn all the spotlight, it's fine if I can do anything else to support this person or help him or her or whatever. In terms of yourself, at what point during your playing career did you think about what you were going to do when you stopped playing? You know, that was a process. I cannot cannot tell you a real date. I saw a bunch of older teammates in, in the national team at that time who stick with basketball and played only basketball. And then I saw also some other teammates that had a regular job and studied and had a good life after the basketball career. And I was thinking about, do I want to stick with basketball my whole life? Or also want to have a change. There are so many things and I want to explore and be better in several areas. Here it was also, again, my father who said, okay, what else can you do? And this is this only, only a dream or coming true? Or is this your true profession? Or is your true profession somewhere else? This is when I started to think about different stuff. And then I realized I want to do something different. And this is not my ultimate goal. Yeah. And you've reinvented yourself. You're a, a communication specialist for Alliance now. I wonder what it was like going from 
you know, being top of your trade, you know, as a wheelchair basketballer, you'd been to the Paralympics, you'd represented your country. What was the shift like from doing that to then not necessarily starting again or starting at the bottom, but kind of starting a new trade and having to work your way up in in now an office environment, a corporate environment? Yeah, you know, it's different. I came from basketball. I was a star there in every gym. Everybody knew my name. Everybody knew who I am. And basically, you don't start from scratch when you go to to the office environment, but you are not a star there. You are no Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or however the, the boys are called. <laughs> maybe one day, maybe one day, Sebastian. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm finished, but you start basically uh, from the bottom. What stayed was that I know how it feels like getting the way up. But also, on the other hand, it was a strange feeling, you know, not to enter the room and everybody knows who you are. So you are the new guy. You are in basketball language. You are the rookie. And this is this is basically how, how it felt. Did people know, by the way, about your Paralympic background? The only reason I asked that is because I interviewed Marcus Rem in the first series of this podcast, and he works as a prosthetist in Germany. And he has patients coming in to see him and he's working on their artificial legs and things like that. And sometimes some of his patients don't realize that he is the great Marcus Rem, one of the best Paralympians out there. They just don't realize he is now their prosthetist. You know, it was 50-50. Some, some knew, others didn't. Basically, I would say it's because some people are more interested in sports and some are not. And some people are also more interested in communicating and it came out very quickly after after some conversations when you're an athlete and and when you're part of a sporting team where the way that you're assessed is is very clear you know you either win or you lose basically does moving into your new line of work throw up challenges as it's not quite so clear i guess when you've had a winning day or a losing day for example yeah i know what you mean but i see a common line here you know In sports in general, all those things that happen are just shorter than in business life. Give you an example. The careers are a lot shorter in sports than in business life. But the emotions are the same. If you win or lose, it feels exactly the same. Because we have like every human has hormones and there are stress hormones. There are all kinds of hormones and they are a reaction to something that happens in your life. Of course... It's different if you're on the court and you make the buzzer-beating shot and you win, you're in the final series. Of course, it's different than uh, fulfilling some KPIs for your team um, that somebody put in an Excel sheet you have basically to fulfill. But in the end, for me at least, I look at this the same way. I would say I try to motivate myself also with this kind of stuff to see, okay, this is my championship in the office. And if I do well over the whole year, like I did in basketball before, I will get I will get a trophy. Here it is not always a trophy, but it is different things that you get it as a, re- as a reward. I see common things, but uh, yeah, it takes a lot longer to get to the goal in business life, I would say. And do you try to bring camaraderie, for example, with you into your job at Allianz do you bring things from the world of basketball into your into your team at Allianz you know I'm all about that everybody feels good in a team it 
doesn't have to be always perfect because when you sometimes disagree, it's not always nice, but at least the trust should be there within a team. And this is what I really bring from sports. I try to make everybody aware that they can 100% trust me and I'm supporting 100%. Those are my values, I would say, and I bring them from sport. I know this is a, a big question, but what kind of things can employers do to increase the number of disabled people in their workforce and also make it a a better place for the disabled people already working for them? Personally, I would recommend three things. First is be open in your job postings. Really go all out and say, not only we invite you, no matter what sexual orientation or, or whatever, no, just put it on the top of your job posting and say, we want everybody's job application. And this is one thing for me. The second one is if you have questions, like you mentioned something, can you use a phone or do you have special needs or whatever, address it. Uh, don't be shy to ask for it. Of course, if the hiring manager or the, the recruiter is not believing you, then that uh, you can really use a phone or for me using a couple of steps, for example, then it's difficult. But And that leads me to the third point, trust and believe the, the applicants with a disability. They know what they say and you can, you can trust. And at least if they were not honest, you will see it very quickly. And then it's not your fault as a recruiter or as a hiring manager. So I would say firms should be more open and transparent to it. Are you a supporter of the idea of disability quotas and schemes, programs specifically designed to bring more disabled people into an industry? Actually, this is something I really doubted for a long time. But having a look on statistics all over Europe and all countries, I can at least say for Europe that the quotas are necessary because a lot of firms are not willing to take the risk. And to take the risk, I mean, to explore something new or be open to something new. And a lot of firms are not believing that it could leverage also their potential if they recruit different people. So I think until we have a certain level of diverse staff in general all over Europe, I think we need quotas. As long as I suppose the people that come in, maybe at entry level, do then continue moving up the up the ladder. It's not just a case that disabled people are always just brought in at the bottom and just stay there. And rather excitingly, you're still involved in, in wheelchair basketball yourself. You're, you're the head coach with the team that, that Benny runs as, as, as general manager. So are there now skills that you take from your office job with Alliance, your communications role with them, into your basketball coaching? Yes, both ways. Like preparing a game plan, presenting it. This is something where I can use my skills from Allianz job. So just preparing and having also, you know, everything in mind, not just a couple of details, but thinking over the edge is something that helps me to be a head coach, to be honest with you. So it's really good to be influenced by different leaders, to learn different skills and yeah, to use them on a, in a total different field uh, like wheelchair basketball. So I definitely would say yes. 
and we talked about how your parents and and how uh, Benny sparked confidence in you. How do you now spark confidence in your own players? What I learned from Benny is to really support them and like live empowerment. But also, if some of my players are struggling or doubting themselves, I really try to repeat myself that they are good, that they will be better, and they have just to stick with it. And until now, it helped. I also like, you know, cross-functional examples. So I tell them like that big, big sports athletes or like Muhammad Ali or also uh, some entrepreneurs like like Bill Gates, for example, they started in a garage um, with their training, with their business. They were not born like this. And uh, those examples, for example, lead us to a better team, I would say. What I would also admit is that I'm really good in finding out how a system around all those skills of my players can look like. So I had before also coaches that built a team around their needs, uh, around their systems, and then just change the players. I really try to take the players I have and to build a system around them and what they can do. So yeah, this is, this is how I help them, I would say. And just finally, Sebastian, are there any pieces of advice you could give give to somebody listening who wants to reinvent themselves in some way? Want is you know is maybe coming to the end of one path in their life and wants to move on to another? Don't underestimate the value of time. If you clean your house for one hour or for one month, the outcome will be different. The same here. If you want to reinvent yourself, use a lot of time. Think about it. Don't stop and believe in yourself. And most important, Ryan, don't listen to the naysayers. A strong message there to end on from Allianz employee and wheelchair basketball player turned coach, Sebastian Margenheim, who was so illuminating about his reinvention. I'm sure lots of you found plenty in there that resonated with your own workplace or team. Joining me next week in the final episode of this series is British Paralympic swimmer Jessica Jane Applegate, who has Asperger's syndrome and swims in the classification for athletes with intellectual impairments. We'll discuss how her autism affects her life, her training, and how the pool is, in her own words, her own little world. Please do subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen. 